Welcome back to Yang Daily. I'll be your host, Alex Cheney, bringing you all the Yang news you need to live your life right. Sorry for the short absence. It's been busy lately. I hope you all are managing our recent loss in stride. The general response within the movement seems healthy from what I've seen. Anyway, today we are covering a couple of big national issues. Can't say they're a pick-me-up exactly, but they're important. Let's get to it. Quick shout out to our tier 3 patrons, Shay Meehan and Nathan Stankowski, as well as all our other patrons. You keep us all informed and engaged. If any of you out there want to join these advocates of humanity first and independent journalism, head on over to patreon.com slash yangdaily. It would only take a couple of bucks a month from each listener to keep this podcast and community going and growing into the future. Now on to the news. On the same sad day that Eric Adams proved corruption is still king in New York City, U.S. Senate Republicans used their filibuster to block the For the People Act at a time when democracy experts are saying that democracy is on the brink of collapse. We just got a new letter of warning of disaster if reforms aren't passed, in fact, this time from over 1,000 political science majors, including the author of How Democracies Die. Shocking that it didn't pass, I know. We were, of course, all waiting with bated breath for Manchin and Cinema's mythical bipartisan collaboration to save the day. It did not. Must have been stuck in traffic. The vote was 50 to 50. S1, if passed, would ban gerrymandering, amplify donations from common Americans, protect the right to vote, and increase election security. Right-wing opposition propaganda ranges from factually false, for example, calling it unconstitutional, to outrageously ridiculous, for example, arguing that revealing who bribes our politicians would be an attack on free speech. The real reason that they oppose it is because they don't want democracy, they want control. While not the stated intent of any political party, it is the inevitable end goal. The GOP has never been a party of popular policy. This is well known and measured. They win primarily by appealing on cultural issues and feeding culture wars. Partisan gridlock makes that easier, hence why they protect the filibuster. When nothing passes, it breaks the feedback loop for judging policies, politicians, and parties, incidentally who the PPP loans actually went to. It denies progress and empirical experience, pissing people off as they're left to suffer, demoralizing them with the expectation that nothing will change, and leaving no outlet but tribal culture wars. It's exactly what the people in power like. It makes their job easy and maintains the duopoly. It's also breeding resentment for democracy and observably leading to its destruction, as well as rampant inequality and declining quality of life. None of this will change until we change the incentives our politicians and voters are following, and that cannot change while the filibuster stands. It is up to us, the voters, to make clear to our representatives that we will end their reign if they don't do what's necessary to fix this broken system. If your state hasn't yet outlawed citizen initiatives, you can also make a difference there. Start or support initiatives to ban gerrymandering, switch to score or approval voting, protect voter rights, because let me be clear, there is no cavalry coming to the rescue. It is time to save ourselves before it's too late. Speaking of inequality, reporters have recently linked IRS tax info that has provided precise details on just that. For one, the documents revealed that the richest 25 Americans pay a real income tax rate of about 16% on average versus the 37% you might expect them to pay under the progressive tax brackets. It shows that the rate peaks at 27% in the 2 to 5 million income bracket, then declines as more loopholes come into play, such as taking major deductions on interest payments, which the rich have a lot of since they use their wealth to borrow lots of money at low interest rates. This 
then make more than enough income from investing that money to outpace the interest rates. Money makes money, and the more you leverage a wealth advantage, the more lenient the tax system is on you, almost as if it was designed by the rich for the rich. There's also deductions for charitable donations made with stock, so you simultaneously pay no tax on the stock and get a tax deduction for the donation. And then there's various credits, like for business ownership, and on and on. But the biggest culprit for the disparity is in the source of income. Payroll taxes, Medicare, and Social Security are a huge portion of income taxes for the middle and lower classes. These are taken out of paychecks. By contrast, the wealthy often have little in the way of paychecks and mostly make money from capital gains and dividends from investing, which are only taxed at 20% or less versus the 37% that paychecks max out at. Stock is the chief culprit. You invest money into stocks, these stocks grow massively in value, then you trade them or use them as collateral to take out loans so you never even have to pay the lower capital gains rates. And guess what most corporations do with the majority of their profits? Buy back their own stock to drive up the price for the CEOs and other rich investors who own most of it. When all is said and done, here is what it amounts to. The richest 25 Americans pay an overall effective tax rate of 3.4% on their increases in wealth. Yes, I said 3.5%. At the very top, it's even worse. Bezos paid $1.4 billion in federal taxes over the last decade, a period in which his wealth grew by $127 billion, making for an effective tax rate of, drumroll please, 1.1%. This is largely because only 5% of that wealth increase was taxed as income. Bezos actually reported negative income because his investment losses were greater than his taxable income. As a result, he even collected the full benefit from the child tax credit. Whether you've got tykes or tycoons, we can all use little help as parents, right? And that's still not the worst. Warren Buffett's true tax rate? 0.1%. Wow. Meanwhile, the typical middle-class American is likely to pay an effective rate of around 10%, aka 10 times Bezos' rate, or 100 times Buffett's. And of course, that typical family is able to save very little, if any, of their income, while Bezos and Buffett are just collecting more or less for points on the scoreboard at this point. Which brings us to why Yang prefers the value-added tax over income and wealth taxes. Income and wealth are too complicated and too easy to undermine. And yet the most recent big changes in our tax code? The Trump tax cuts that disproportionately benefited the wealthy. Imagine that. Alright, I know this episode got eaten up by pretty bummer topics, and I didn't mean to pile on to our recent woes. I meant to include some good news for both UBI and New York City, but ran out of time. I promise it will be in the next episode. Finally, I put most of last episode's thoughts on the end of the mayoral race into a thread. If you want to share it, it's in the links, along with Yang's concession tweet. And let me know in the thread or in the comments or whatever way you want how you all are doing. I know it's rough right now. It's a good time to lean on friends. And that'll do it for today's Yang Daily. Bookmark and share the S1 thread, the democracy letter, and the real tax data. Flood Congress with calls, tweets, faxes, and letters using the resist bot or income movement easy contacts below. If you need help, consult Humanity Forward, the Income Movement Aid Database, the Mission Asset Fund, or United Way. And don't forget to Yang Daily.